Commentary is for general information purposes only. Clients should seek professional advice for their particular situation. I hate to toot our own horn or pat ourselves on the back, but... It's December, and if you're like us, you're looking forward to some well-deserved rest and relaxation over the holidays. 2021 has been a busy year, but then again, it seems like we can say that every year. It was filled with some ups and downs, some twists and turns. Now that we're near the end of the year, we thought it might be a good time to reflect on the year that was. In this episode of Investors Unplugged, we're taking a quick look back at some of the main themes in the capital markets over the past year. In the spirit of the holidays, we're making a list and checking it twice. Listen on for who's been naughty or nice. This is Investments Unplugged. Welcome back to Investments Unplugged. As always, I'm your co-host, Kevin Headland, co-chief investment strategist at Manlife Investment Management. And with me is my co-host and co-chief investment strategist, Makan Nia. Welcome, Makan. Hey, Kevin. How are you doing? I'm well, thanks. How are you doing? Sick, but could be worse, I guess. And it's not COVID, if that's what you're thinking. It's the good old-fashioned, good old-fashioned flu. Yeah, tis the season, right? With little kids, we're... The season of giving by uh, two kids that are young and one in daycare. The season of giving the virus. But anyways. But we wanted to do a quick uh, recap of the year. And in that vein, we decided to talk about things that we see on our nice list and our naughty list. And the first one we want to talk about on the nice list is the equity markets. Now, earlier this year, Mock on, on our Fearless Forecast podcast, uh, you actually uh, prognosticated uh, or had a fearless forecast that the U.S. equity market would be up over 20%. And we kind of chuckled and we laughed and we thought there's no chance. You know, we're going to get mid single digit, uh, upper single digit, low double digit returns, but a 20% return seemed out of the question. And here we are. You know, the U.S. equity markets are up in Canadian dollar terms over 25% at the time of recording. Dow Jones is up 18% again in Canadian dollar terms. Uh, SBTSX is up 18 and a half almost. So kudos to you. Well done on, on calling an extremely strong equity market. I didn't feel it was that fearless when, when I made it, right? So you've seen it's in the one chart that breaks down equity market returns by 5% increments and 60, 60% of the time market returns in the US using the S&P 500 is up greater than 10% and a third of the time they're greater than actually 20% and I just thought with the backdrop of again a very strong earnings also when you look at the backdrop for the fundamentals I just thought that it was going to be one of those years so fast forward I'm glad I was right and uh I guess what to look forward to is where are equity markets going to land on next year's list? Are they going to be naughty or are they going to be nice? Yeah, I would say, uh, unfortunately, you don't get anything for, for being right, except if you were invested in the market. So uh, hopefully your investments were, were alongside your views. Uh, but um, our views for next year, stay tuned for those. That'll be on our next podcast on our 2022 outlook. Malcolm, what's first on your naughty list? I think when I look at the naughty list, and it's a big one for investors, was general fixed income 
when we look at what rates have done this year, we're taping this on December 15th, uh, 2021. And when you look at the 10 year, year that they started the year in Canada at 0.73, roughly the moment of recording, it's 1.41. You look at the US started at 0.9, the 10 year treasury. As of right now, it's 1.44. And generally we have seen interest rates increase across the term structure. And as a result, fixed income returns have landed on the naughty list. The majority of fixed income sub-asset classes are negative for the year with the exception of a few U.S. high yield floating rate are the two ones that stand out. But generally, fixed income has been on the naughty list and was not a surprise to us in the sense that we saw inflation increasing this year. And as a result, we thought rates were going to rise and fixed income would be in a challenging environment. It played out that way. Yeah, looking at what we were saying at the beginning of the year and our growth inflation matrix suggested the 10-year treasury would be up 50 basis points in this environment. And it was, and it had, or it has been. Now, of course, in the first quarter of the year, we got a big move in the in the ten-year treasury yields. It, it got almost to one point eight percent, and it came back in the summertime, and it has since bounced back to, you know. But it's having trouble breaching the one point five percent level with inflation where we are today, you know, six point eight percent in the U.S. Uh, what I find is kind of on on the naughty list is, it's the ten-year treasury yield is not doing what I expected it to do. It, you know, inflation is much more enduring, I think, than anybody, even us, thought it would be at this point of the year. And yet the 10-year Treasury still is hovering at that 1.5%. So, yeah, you're right in terms of, of negative yields on, on long-duration fixed income. We should have been short-duration. But that 10-year Treasury yield is not perhaps reacting as I thought it would, given this high levels of inflation or enduring inflation. Um, it, it kind of surprises me. Everyone is somewhat surprised that the 10-year is at the levels that it has today, especially given that run that we had really from the summer of 2020 to maybe a couple of months ago, right? We've had really, really positive economic growth. We've had positive earnings growth. And in this environment, if I painted the economic and earnings environment, no one would have thought that the 10-year treasury would be at the levels today. Now, there's many reasons for it but there's not a single one that you can nail down to it. But I think you take a step back and you'd have to think that the influence of the U.S. Federal Reserve on uh, the term structure in terms of the bond buying has had an impact on it. And then, Kev, you always talk to the institutional demand for fixed income regardless. There's always, for basically risk return profiles, for mandates, they have to hold treasuries. And maybe that has artificially held down the 10-year yield more than what many of us had thought it would be. Well, it's, it's interesting when you talk about the institutional buyers and, and you know, we had a, a recent call with uh, the friends and, and colleagues at the strategic income team and they brought up a really interesting point that there's perhaps some uh, a nuance where you have global pension funds that are fully funded as a result of the strong returns we've seen over the last two years. And as a result of being fully funded, they may be now taking some profits and rolling them into long-duration bonds, specifically 10-year treasury yields uh, for liquidity as well as to lock in some of those gains. So uh, I think you're right there. I think there's a lot of moving parts uh, in the uh, in the treasury markets that I don't think anybody can really nail down, but I, I still think the balance of risk is, to the, to, is higher right now from here we are today. But it, as I said, it's been, it's been kind of frustrating. I think frustrating for a lot of people who are looking at um, – 
uh, at duration, the idea of erring on the side of caution and being low duration has helped uh, some portfolios. Uh, but as you said, uh, the general fixed income uh, and those that have done well last year protecting during the crisis um, have resulted in, in negative returns, which is, um, again, as we had said earlier on this year, should not be surprising to those investors, uh, given where we saw things going from a, um, a economic growth and inflation perspective. So let's go back to the nice list, because we always like these these children a lot better than are the ones that are on our naughty list. All children equal, Bakon. I guess that, that depends on the day. But uh, but let's talk to nice in terms of any talk. You, why don't you take this with credit markets in terms of landing on the nice list? Yeah, it's always one of my favorite topics uh, is, is the credit market and fixed income in general, but credit particularly... And again, we, you know, I hate to say it, we kind of predicted this pretty well last year. I hate to toot our own horn, but or pat, our, pat ourselves on the back. But you know, the I, the fundamentals suggested this, and it's not surprising, right? When we look at the environment, end of last year, early this year, the way we expected to play out, really favored credit markets, and high yield and investment grade bonds did very very well. When we look at high yield right now, uh, again as of today, U.S. high yield constrained index is up three and a half percent in U.S. dollar terms. You know, so that's quite strong considering um, the relative negative returns of treasuries or other fixed income. So it's it's done a very good job uh, so far. And, and I, I think it, it's an area where we've done really well, spreads compressed materially. Uh, you picked up a bit extra yield. But at the same time, going forward, we have to understand where we are. And when you look at the spread of high yield versus their treasuries, it, it's a measure of, of risk that exists in the marketplace. And when the spreads are very tight, it means that um, there's very little excess return to be made, um, and you're not necessarily getting compensated for taking on uh, that extra risk of being in high yield. And we created this chart recently, and it, it just uh, ranks the um, the spreads over the history on a percentile ranking basis. So where does today's spreads rank uh, in a percentile basis versus its its uh, its history? And right now, both investment grade and high yield spreads are in the tenth percentile meaning that 90% of the time spreads are wider than where they are today. And that tells me, yeah, they've done a great job so far this year and have really outperformed and belong on the on the nice list. But again, next year, uh, that could be a different story. Look at credit. It's been very good this year. There's And credit, there's all different types of children, right? So I think when we look at credit, specifically through the eyes of maybe higher yielding credit or high yield credit, not that we think the backdrop is negative for it. We're not saying that, but I always like this quote uh, from Robert Rubin. Uh, he was a former Secretary of Treasury, and his the quote is, first, the only certainty is that there's no certainty. And I think that's very true. And then second, as a consequence, we have to weigh or matter of, basically, we have to weigh the probabilities. None of us have a crystal ball. All we have are probabilities. And given where spreads are today and making a probability weighted decision, you just want to make sure that, and this is the way we're looking at it, is how much credit and specific what type of credit does one have in their fixed income? And in the event that you're wrong, is that decision going to be a headshot for your fixed income within your asset allocation? It's not that we envision a bad environment, but what if we're wrong? 
And we always like to say in terms of where's the protection in my portfolio. And if like we always refer to it as like the umbrella. If you don't have an umbrella within your asset allocation, when it starts raining, it's already too late. And I think that's something that investors have to be very mindful of because many investors stretched for yield last year, uh, deservingly so, to be quite honest. But is that the proper strategy going into next year? And we'll dive obviously a lot more deeper into it in our next podcast. I was going to say, you're, you're uh, giving a, a teaser or preview for our, our, uh, our outlook and you might be using up all your quotes. You might have to repeat them uh, for our next podcast. <laughs> yeah, don't worry, Cap. There's no problem with repeating them. <laughs> oh, I thought you were just going to come up with new quotes. Going back to back to our naughty list for a second now, it seemed like we have more naughty than nice, unfortunately, as, as the, the nice was just, yeah, uh, equities and credit and you, you did well, but uh, some of the challenges we faced this year, um, of course, inflation. You know, and again, inflation was has been much more enduring than expected. Uh, the uh, today's there was a Federal Reserve announcement, and and they they finally admitted that inflation was not transitory. You know, there's a lot of other issues that are existing, and, and inflation is going to endure much longer, um, and they're going to perhaps be more hawkish in their policies. But inflation this year, and I think that took a lot of people by surprise. And I said, even us, we don't think I don't think we thought it was going to hit these types of levels. We thought supply chain disruptions would be uh, much more diminished uh, by now than they have been. So I think inflation definitely is, is on the uh, on the naughty list in terms of it's, it's starting to creep into everyday discussions. It's starting to um, show in everyday prices. When we look at food price and look at gasoline prices and, and um, it's starting to hurt, hit mainstream now. It's not just a, a you know, uh, economic data point, it is starting to hit mainstream. And I think uh, perhaps some people are even having trouble getting certain Christmas gifts that are popular because of supply chain disruption. So it definitely, I think, uh, belongs on the naughty list. This is one though, Kev, where it's on the naughty list today, but could be on the nice list. I don't know if I can even go ahead and say that, but not... I was going to say, is there a not as naughty list? Like you're still bad, but you weren't as bad as you were last year. Well, if there was a list, inflation might find itself is on that. So when we plug in inputs for inflation into our inflation model, and when we take what we think are pretty probable numbers. So when we look at levels for any of those inputs that we put into it, whether it's rent or oil prices, wages, and owner's equivalent rent or basically shelter, and we use like five-year averages pre-COVID, it's still going to be elevated relative to the pre-COVID experience. So the inflation numbers that we are sub to, uh, even with normal numbers, which I think the odds of hitting, we're still going to be trending around that 3.5% range. So higher than the historical average, and I think a lot of that has to probably do with wages, but the trend is going downwards. And I think once the market uh, prices that in, that's going to be generally a good thing for risk assets. Now, I guess for the naughty for me into that, I think one aspect is what's going to keep inflation higher above what we're used to. One is wages, I think. And the other one is food prices. So on my naughty list are just food prices, specifically for me, because I'm a big rib eater, uh, pork prices. I, I thought you were going to say bacon. Sorry, I thought you were going to say bacon. I, I I make pizzas from scratch. The meat the meat chefs or the meat alchemists uh, that they have a they have a unique skill that I can't match. But I buy it. And I was we had a dinner party actually a week ago, and we were comparing our bill from when we had it pre COVID. 
and I was shocked. Um, I knew food prices had gone up, but example, the cost of basically a pound of, uh, of pork this year started the year at $62 a pound, went up to 116 at its peak, which is nearly 90% increase. It's since fallen back down, uh, but still up nearly 20% for the year. The price today is still above its five-year average. And when you hear, um, I forget who it came out, I think it was a Umer, or a Canadian Farmers Association, food inflation is likely going to be with us this year as well. So I think when you factor in wage pressures, when you factor in food inflation, I think the other components are likely to trend down. Uh, inflation in itself will trend down, but will still remain above what we've, what we've experienced really over the last decade. Yeah, and I think uh, you're right there in terms of that. There will still be some inflationary pressures, but some will be less inflationary. So by nature, disinflationary, like oil prices, you know, perhaps we've seen a peak in oil prices at $80, $85. So that's, you know, there is some good news or some silver lining. But when it comes to food, um, I think you're, you're completely correct uh, in terms of uh, a lot of this inflationary prices are, are, are probably here to stay for quite some time. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. On my naughty list, uh, of course, um, and no surprise here, this is going to get into the less um, economic or less capital market type of, of lists, shall I say. But my naughty list is COVID. You know, and uh, we're now in the midst of uh, an Omicron uh, variant outbreak. And it seems like there's all these new variants. And, and we take that, you know, two step forwards, one step back in terms of reopening and, and travel plans and, and getting back to the office. And it, it's Listen, you know, we've we've done very well for ourselves in, in, during COVID, and, and and we weren't too impacted, I would say, except for traveling. Uh, we you know we go from traveling 100 days a year to none over the last two years, so I'm, I'm disappointed at that. But ultimately, we're lucky we can do our jobs from home, um, and and uh, that's been very lucky for us. So I, I I'm anxious for COVID to be on the nice list next year. So hopefully, um, it does improve. It does uh, realize that it is being naughty, and we get some improvements there, but. COVID has probably got to be number one, I'd say, on my naughty list. Yeah, I think it's on everyone's naughty list, number one right up there. And you mentioned it as we speak. And we, we envisioned this in a sense that this was never going to be uh, running out. It will be out of COVID in a year plus. This is going to be ebbs and flows, two step forwards, one step back. But the trend was higher. And I just look at 2020. In March, even a year later after that, how many of us would have thought that all of us would have been vaccinated? Very few. So despite all this negativity around it, we are moving in the right direction. Unfortunately, we're in a one step back. Again, I think when it comes to this, you have to be an optimist and, and think that whether it's a month or two months down the road, we will come out of it. We've seen this playbook before. We saw it with the original strain. We saw it with Delta and most likely with Omi where Initially, you'll see that spike up, we'll become more restrictive, and then we'll come right back out of it. I, I didn't know Omicron had a, had a pet name now. It doesn't. I probably just made that up. <laughs> so I think for me, nice, I'm going to go outside of financial markets and the economy in general. I'm just going to go to something. I'm going to go to sports, to be honest. And on my nice list is Canadian soccer. A lot has happened in 2021. A pleasant surprise to me and nice was Canadian soccer, both on the men and women's side. 
it seemed like ages ago, but we had a Summer Olympics. And during that Summer Olympics in the summer of this year, uh, it was a very high high stakes, intense final. And Canada, the Canadian women's team won gold on uh, Julia Grosso, scored the shootout winner. And it was the first time that we had won an Olympic gold in women's soccer. And I thought that was great. And months later, the men's soccer side, uh, more so for qualifying for the World Cup in Qatar, uh, they had a historic 2-1 win over Mexico. For those of you that follow, watched that game, it was crazy playing a game in the middle of winter in Edmonton. I couldn't even imagine how cold it was, but they beat them. First place in North America, they're 4-0-4, and puts them in a pretty solid position to make the World Cup for the first time, I think it's since the 80s. Uh, but many of us don't even remember the last time they were in there. So I think... Despite all the negativity, there's a lot of po- like a lot of inspiring things, and I I look at Canadian soccer both on the women and men's side as getting on that nice list. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. I was I you know I follow soccer, I love soccer, and, and I f- almost forgot about the Olympics that was already that was this year. Just following the men's recently, but you know in this again this year of, of some difficulties and COVID and whatnot, it's quite nice to see something that can kind of bring us together as Canadians. Um, you know, a lot of people who don't follow soccer are getting caught up in uh, this uh, this men's run because they're doing so well. But it's been fantastic. I think it's it's a great way to kind of end this off um, on a positive note that despite what's going on, um, there's a lot of positivity around us. We have to look at that positivity, uh, be that eternal optimist like you like to say, and I think it's important. So... Um, I, uh, and I guess on behalf of you as well, want to wish our listeners and our uh, clients um, and our friends and everyone a happy holidays. I hope you get some time off and enjoy it. Um, Take some time to rest and reflect. And uh, we look forward to seeing you in the new year. So Makan, I have been enjoying this time with us and and hopefully we'll be able to get together uh, more often in the new year. Um, and uh, I hope you and your family have a great holiday. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. I just did all those comments. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, a joyous new year to all our listeners, all our friends and family. May 2022 be better than 2021. Copyright Manulife. Commentary is for general information purposes only and shouldn't be relied on for specific financial, legal, or other advice. It does not constitute an offer or an invitation by or on behalf of Manulife Investment Management to any person to buy or sell any security. Opinions expressed are those of Manulife and or the sub-advisor of Manulife Investment Management and are subject to change based on market and other conditions. Any Manulife funds mentioned are available to Canadian investors only. Manulife isn't responsible for any losses arising from any use of this information. Manulife funds are managed by Manulife Investment Management Limited, formerly named Manulife Asset Management Limited. Manulife Investment Management is a trade name of Manulife Investment Management Limited. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. Mutual funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. 
This information does not replace or supersede KYC, know your client, suitability, needs analysis, or any other regulatory requirements and is intended for Canadian advisors.